0: Welcome to Single Serving Cinema with Tim and Tay, a podcast that looks at one critical scene in a movie every other week. We explore how the scene is constructed, what the scene achieves, and what it can tell us about the movie as a whole. I'm Tim. And I'm Tay. Tim, I just
1: gotta say, shake something, don't break something.
0: (laughs) I'll uh, I'll do my best. We are are talking about Everybody Wants Some. Uh, This episode, this is part of our baseball month, and I think a good way to kick this off is maybe ask, is this a baseball movie, or did we just want to talk about this movie? (laughs) I think it is a baseball movie,
1: but it is more a movie about competition uh, than anything else. I think that's a pretty obvious statement, so I don't really feel like I need to <laughs> justify that. but <laughs> yeah, baseball is ever present in the film, but it is not the dominant storyline. It is not what it, there's not a big game that the story revolves around, which makes this so much more consumable to me as just a movie, not a sports movie. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like this is something I can put on almost any day of the week, watch it front to back, have some laughs, listen to some great music, uh, and just enjoy like the company of these characters who are r- really represented well and presented uh, like a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe the betrayal of our theme is not that this isn't a baseball movie, but this movie isn't great because of baseball. It's not like Moneyball where you get to look at a different aspect of the game or... You know, movies like The Sandlot or Field of Dreams or other stuff we looked at where you might have great baseball action. Um, this movie's about these guys who are addicted to winning and they just particularly, they are just particularly best at baseball, which is why they're going to college to play it. Um, but uh, you're right. This movie is fun. This is the kind of thing where if I still had cable, if I was still flipping channels. And you see that it's on. It's the kind of thing where you you will just watch the rest of it because you want to hang out with these guys. You want to be in this space. It's very low consequence, very uh, few responsibilities. Um, and it's it's great to look at. The movie sounds great. It's got a phenomenal soundtrack. It's uh it's just a great time. And this the, I mean, we picked it largely because if you listeners haven't. Watch this movie yet we highly recommend it it's just a great time and it was largely overlooked i mean it had a 10 million dollar budget and it pulled in five and a half million dollars which, which is very unfortunate yeah it's a shame
1: uh, i think this was and a large part of that money made was from like the diehard richard linklater fans who was the director of this mm-hmm. movie Yeah, i don't think that this movie was able to really gain much traction for any kind of casual audience Cause I got to say that Linklater's audience is probably strong enough to make up most of that money that they did make. So Mm. signs point to this just not being, uh, economically viable in a big market.
0: Well, I mean, I also blame that it was released on March 30th. Uh, it's, it's a, I would say a Barely summer movie, right? It's it's sunny, there's swimming, um, you know, there are short shorts and mid drifts. Of course, I'm talking about the men <laughs> in the movie. Um it's a it's a hot movie, and you know, we're talking about it here on April 1st, but uh I think it would have played a lot better in the summer.
1: Honestly, yeah, like the so the very first title card we get, it's takes place August 28th, 1980, at 406 PM. It's that specific. Um, Mm -hmm. and just, why wouldn't they... It's a hot
0: month, that's a hot hour.
1: Why wouldn't they release this movie in September, August? Yeah. Uh, it's gotta come down to distribution and, you know, realizing strength
0: of competition in the theater Mm -hmm. box office. What a world that the fight against. Yeah, it's also kind of a, uh, like a back-to-school movie, too, so the timing, I think... Somebody with that, or maybe it was scheduled for the previous September, and then it had to be pushed to not compete with something, even though I don't know what this would compete with. It's yeah. a Linklater movie. It just should sell on that spirit, but... I, I mean, before we go any further, let's make sure everyone's on the same page here. Everybody Wants Some um, runs the course of a long weekend before the start of the fall semester at a Texas college in 1980. Over the course of these three days, freshman pitcher Jake meets his teammates, competes with virtually everyone, and uh, pursues his crush, an Auburn-haired theater major named Beverly. Uh, starring Blake Jenner, Zoe Deutsch, and uh, like a, a long cast of men... Everybody Wants Some was directed by Richard Linklater and released March 30th, 2016. Uh, It's available to rent online and it's worth the $5. Yeah,
1: and I just got to say, I kind of waited for this movie to dip in price to buy it. And then I just Mm -hmm. ended up realizing I need to just give this movie my money. And so I paid the Mm -hmm. 20 bucks for this Blu-ray. I love this movie. I've probably watched this more than any other film in the past decade. Wow. I, I can honestly probably say that. This is probably my... This week, it was probably my 10th and 11th watches of
0: this movie-ish. Okay. I mean, it's very... I'd say it's highly accessible, right? Because, again, yes. uh, it's under two hours. It's easy to watch. There are There is almost no... Well, there's... It's weird. There's plenty of conflict uh, in between characters and scene to scene, but there is nothing really driving this movie. Okay? Um, there isn't, like, from... Based on what I said in the synopsis, you might think like maybe it's about Jake having to learn a lesson that like he was the best at baseball in high school, but he's now surrounded by people that are as good at least as him. Or maybe it's about maybe it's a romantic comedy about this girl, Beverly, or maybe it's about any any other thing that could exist in this setting. And it's a little bit about all of those things but otherwise just about, uh, I don't know, the freedom that you have at this age and at this specific time, too. Classes haven't started yet. You're moving in. You're meeting these guys. It's all these things sort of wrapped up into, into what is still a ticking clock movie, but a ticking clock movie with no, no stress, nothing on the line. It is a ticking clock movie in the sense that, yes,
1: we know that there is, like, the end time of the, the weekend will end and they will have to go to class, at the same time, no one is worried about getting to the end point. No one is stressed, and I think that creates this, I don't know, sense of ease throughout the movie when you're watching it. Mm-hmm. You just you know that nothing is going to be too stressful, too anxiety-inducing, but you can just settle down with these characters and enjoy what they're doing. I I, I do want to say that I think that this is a movie that is much more aligned with a male perspective than a female perspective. And I don't mean to say that as like a knock on the film, but just the few females I know who have seen this movie have given it much more mediocre reviews than the men I've, <laughs> I know have seen yeah. this.
0: Yeah. I would say that's where the accessibility starts to become limited is that this is a movie very concerned with the specific culture of competition that you can foster among a group of young adult men. Um, in a dorm are, setting too yeah in a dorm setting uh, it depending on your viewpoint and how you want to read the movie it verges on or blows right past the idea of toxic masculinity to an extent um, but it also it should be stated like this movie was largely billed as the spiritual successor to Dazed and Confused Richard Linklater's sort of breakout indie hit about high school and that movie really explores the dark side of a lot of things that were endemic to high school at that time like the hazing um the the pursuit of sex things like that where those things can break into issues of consent and abuse and stuff like that this movie i don't think it necessarily denies the possibility for that thing to happen but i think it it's not concerned with being like this has to be a commentary on where these male cultures go wrong they're just kind of exhibiting how these things work without, I don't think, a ton of judgment, right?
1: Right. Uh, I wanted to read the quote that I saw from later. It was, I was less conflicted about college than high school. High school needed to be exercised. In college, you're an adult. It's an age for exploration, which I think really fits the tone of what he was doing with Dazed and Confused and then what he brought to Everybody Wants Some. And mm. what did you think about this whole idea of him saying that Boyhood is actually the true pre-prequel or predecessor to Everybody Wants Some?
0: Well, so yeah, I guess the idea is that Boyhood, I'd only seen, I've only seen it the one time. Um, Me too, of course. Boy Boyhood, where it ends, is right where this guy's going off to college, right? So I think you can tie them together like that. And again, Boyhood being made later in Linklater's career, like everybody wants some, he's further away from the time that he's talking about than he was... When he made Dazed and Confused a little bit more fresh in his mind, you would think. Um, there's a bit of a smoothing the edges. It's more of a nostalgic look. It's let's remember the good parts of this. I'm sure he had more troubling times in college. I'm sure he saw behavior from his teammates that he wouldn't necessarily signed off on. All those things. But this is, this is a very rose-colored glasses look. And I think an invitation into it, too. I didn't personally go to university and I wasn't a part of a sports culture. I, I went to university and I was purely on the academic side or the art side. Um, so it's kind of it's fun to be able to watch this movie and be a, an observer and be a part of this crowd where you're watching these guys go hard on every single thing that they can compete about. Like we're going to talk in our scenes later, whether it's ping pong and knuckles or when they're actually playing baseball on the field.
1: I think that Linklater's perspective on something that was not only part of his personal experience in college and post-secondary, but also just like his ability to recreate a time period is what makes this movie also so inviting and nostalgic. Mm -hmm. I think the production design is incredibly good. The costume design is off the charts amazing. Yeah. Every character, like you and I were talking before we started recording, you can look up all these actors on Google or IMDb. You won't recognize any of them in this movie. (laughs) Like, they all look Mm -hmm. so stylized to the 80s to a T. Like, everything is perfect in terms of the design and making you feel like you are walking into the past when you're watching this movie. And that's, I think, a huge
0: draw, too. They got highly enviable thick mustaches and, like, center part shoulder-length hair and wearing just, like, the most colorful shirts over, like, short jean shorts Right. If there weren't shirts at all, like it, the, the style throughout this movie, it just keeps going the sort of casual comfort that these guys live in. Um, I think, yeah, you're right. The production is is fantastic. And then the number of things that I think they touch on from the college experience without it ever being the direct um, subject of a scene. Right. Whether it's like, you know, hitting a bong or when they're making like the big like in a in a, a garbage can, like the big party punch. Right, like it just—you could check off a big long list of like college cliches, and they're all present, but it's never like the goal of the scene or the thing that they're working on. It's never the mission, yeah. or the task. I, right? I think it's all set dressing. I think that that small example of the party punch is
1: a great is a great way to look at that because you could make the scene about them getting this the perfect concoction together then everybody getting wasted off this cocktail Mm -hmm. but instead it's just kind of like them bickering about how to make it and then it's really quick like there's a joke and then that's over and you never hear about the Mm -hmm. punch again it's just everybody's having a good time at the party and you can understand like okay so people had some punch link later treats you as an audience member with a lot of respect he doesn't think that you need to be explained everything so the characters will just do their thing and you just are part of it you're you're almost in the group with them as they partake in all these competitive activities
0: yeah i do think you come in with blake jenner's characters uh whose name is just jake i don't actually think he has a surname it's bradford cast list oh it's bradford okay i i missed that um but I do think you really get Jake's perspective where you are the way you would just come into this place where all these personalities are established and there's a hierarchy where some people don't like pitchers at all. They don't like talking to them. They think they're weird. Some people are pro prospects. Some people are just here to play the game and have fun in college. Um, I think you really get that experience. The only thing you're missing out on is the interactive thing. You're not being hazed or chirped at by these guys, which would be the case if you were there. Yeah. Um, but another thing I didn't I didn't want to rush past was just we were talking about the sort of masculinity on, masculinity on display in this movie. And I do think that it makes a number of either subtle and in some cases not so subtle allusions to where men and women really overlap, right? They, uh, there's a great sequence where it's all the men grooming themselves before they go out at night. So, I mean, Roper is trying on different pairs of pants because he's, he's checking out how his butt looks in them. He's looking in, at himself in the mirror and saying he's got the best cheese on campus. The girls they come up to me out of the blue when they say you got the best cheese on campus which I think is one of the best lines in the movie um different different things where like they're they're trimming their mustaches and getting their hair just right and putting on different uh colognes and things like that it's a it's an intentionally long sequence to sort of say like we're all the same in that extent and I mean even the title of the movie everybody wants um I think it's pretty inclusive that like, the women in this movie are trying to get laid too. I don't think they're not characterized super well. Many of them are just sorority girl, number one or um, cute girl, number two and things like that. Not to, not to be too generous with the way that this movie presents anyone really other than Zoe, Zoe Deutsch's character, Beverly. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think there's a lot of agency on both sides and a lot saying that like everyone at this age has the exact same goal. They want to look good, they want to go out. They want to get drunk. They want to dance, and then they want to get laid, and they want to do the exact same thing the next day.
1: Well, there's there's a whole line about that specifically, where it's like girls can be just as big of sluts as the guys. Yeah, and use it to your advantage if anything. Mm-hmm. Like there's also that additional scene where the all the guys on the baseball team, after having like a very successful pickup night on the Friday night, go out the Saturday night and can't mm-hmm. pick up any girls. Because and. Yeah. It's because none of the girls want anything to do with them, so there, there is some agency implied. I, I agree that this isn't the most respectful or maybe the most uh, positive image of women and men relationships, but I do think that both are given enough agency to make this a respectable kind of film in the way it approaches both.
0: Yeah, I don't think, like, you know, if you haven't watched this yet and you're listening to us talk about it, I just, I don't think it's as slimy as you might assume it is. Yeah, I don't think so. I I mean, and I think think one of the great examples of that is how they depict sex in this movie. Um, There's just, I think, yeah, on that first night they come back from the disco with a bunch of women and they sort of have an ongoing montage of the guys trying to find somewhere in the house where they're going to get together with their date and... Uh, like I think like the, the nudity in this movie I think is intentionally um un uncinematic right? There are these locked off shots of just like a butt. And like to the extent that I think it's I think it's funny every time I see it, because there is no it is not sensual, it's barely sexual. You're like, that's a okay, that's a body part. It's like There's a no butt movement. and then the hands can, come yeah. and grab it. <laughs> yeah. And like I like I think it's very funny I was presenting. It really reminds me of there's a there's this one shot in Hereditary, um, Ari Aster's horror movie, where the the high school age boy Alex Wolf is in He's in class and he's staring at the butt of the girl in front of him in class, but she's sitting in a seat, which is like again like I think a great dig at high school age boys, where like a butt that's like in a seat that has almost nothing to offer you like in 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 any way right, and they still like. You got this kid who's just sitting there staring like that. I, I, the one really reminded me of the other, where it's. (laughs) I think they're making way more of a comment about the male gaze than they are offering anything that's titillating or or sensual.
1: Well, yeah, maybe that's a good way of kind of use like summarizing this argument. It's basically that the men you do get their perspective of the sexual relationships happening, whereas you don't really get the female perspective, at least like from Mm -hmm. a point of view perspective. Uh, Yeah, but there is clear agency involved in both parties. And I really like that. It's highlighted from the perspective that we are given the, the men's side of it, that they, they can have bad nights and they, they aren't going to get what they want every time either. Yeah.
0: Oh, this is savage. <laughs> We're getting closed out here. <laughs> that's plum. Uh, yeah. That's plum. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I think it's a lot of fun and they do, you know, they do still have Zoe Deutsch playing Beverly who, gets enough time in the movie she's a very charming actress i think and and i think it allows link later to also touch upon another thing that i'm sure was an experience for him which was pursuing a girl and then talking in vague philosophical ways with her about how like the sisyphean myth is a is something that you can apply to baseball right and how it's a blessing instead of a curse because you have purpose right like their relationship in that, in the arc of this movie, doesn't end up with him like I just need to get laid. I'm just trying to to bed this girl. It's they get to have a really just sort of nice little scene where they're they're hanging out in the I don't the swimming hole, right? And, yeah, and having a conversation and, and getting to know each other. So can I dive into my Linklater backstory then? Please, please dive. I'm sure some of our our, our listeners would love some
1: context. So I it was actually a really inspiring. Interview that I listened to a long time ago. I'll see if I can find it. I don't actually have a source for it, but I do have the I have the interview clip like downloaded. That's how much I liked this interview with Linklater. Oh, wow. um, so my one of my favorite lines of his is when people ask me what film school I went to, I say I went to the Stanley Kubrick Film School, which means I bought a camera, learned how to use it, and then started making movies. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know anything about Richard Linklater, he was kind of a big promoter of indie filmmaking right out the gate, and it was kind of one of the the first indie filmmakers that grew to any sort of prominence in Austin, Texas, kind of making Austin, or one of the fixtures of Austin's major art scene that's still alive and well today. Uh, really funny though, he was, he, Linklater was an athlete. He was actually the backup quarterback to the number one ranked team in high school football in Texas, which is a really big deal, especially in mm-hmm. Texas. But then when he went to university, he actually. He went to Sam Houston State University where he was also on the baseball team, which is I think where we get a lot of the interactions we see. The re- mm-hmm. the realism of it comes from Linklater's direct experience in university. Um, and then he also had a way of making movies that was pretty different. He actually never attended film school, like I've noted, but he had a lot of friends who were at the University of Texas Film School, and mm-hmm. he would actually just sneak into classes attend screenings, attend lectures, go to film nights with student, other f- student filmmakers. And he learned how to make his films just based on raw experience. I, I remember also reading a thing that he used to make a movie every week and just do what he could within one week, have the movie done. And he said they were usually pretty bad, but his goal of continuously making a project every week kept him going and is why he's considered to be a pretty amazing filmmaker today, a very versatile filmmaker who has a unique sensibility and a unique style and is also not afraid to jump in a, multi- a multitude of styles to complete his work. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's super impressive to f- see someone who's I think got this kind of name recognition, this kind of legacy and this output of work, this great body of of like very mixed things. Some of them work, some of them don't. It's okay, but it's a learn by doing attitude, right? And this is i think it's at this point in his career around boyhood and um and everybody wants somewhere you really see how graceful that can become where he he knows okay i just need this this cast of guys i know how i can talk to them i know how i'll direct it and then we'll just we'll work through it and we'll get it done you only need a couple locations uh i mean i think you'd mentioned that um in some of your research, you found that, like, he got the cast to go stay at his bunkhouse. Yeah, yeah. And, like, get rid of their phones and really kind of live in the time and also get to know each other, learn each other's rhythms, learn how to make fun of each other, that kind of stuff. There, I didn't get
1: many details about the phones, but he was asked about if they were allowed to use cell phones because the they were playing characters from the 80s. And he said, no, I made them leave them behind. And that was the only thing I could find about the cast and their cell phone usage. But yeah, he had the whole cast stay on his. Uh, he refused to call it a ranch. The interviewer called it a ranch, and he said, "No, it's not a ranch. Okay. It's like a farm." <laughs> but yeah. uh, he built a bunkhouse there because apparently, like, he always has people partying at his house and doesn't want people driving home drunk, so he has a bunkhouse on the farm <laughs> where people right where on. the cast stayed. And I'm guessing yeah. that led to a lot of the camaraderie that plays out on screen between in the chemistry between the actors.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. There's you know a rotating not a rotating but there's a group of guys that you see in different settings and different pairings and stuff like that That he really you can tell like I think they put the work in to allow himself to shuffle the cast as needed like Blake Jenner is usually in most of the scenes because he's our stand-in but otherwise the the pairings continually change throughout the movie and you still have this consistent feel of familiarity among the guys who are who are upper years and then just the way that they treat the freshmen, obviously.
1: Yeah, every there are a few guys who you'll just see like in a, in a couple scenes, like the, the first meeting scene and then at batting practice, you will see mm-hmm. characters that you don't know the name of, but every character that has a name is actually in a scene or has a moment in the movie where you can be like, that's this character, that's this character. Yeah. And they each have their defining traits and looks I think that that's one of the, like the the clearest ways that you can give an audience information about your movie as a director is by creating believable stereotypes or representations of people that just by looking at them you can kind of understand what they're all about. So mm-hmm. in this movie, like I don't I don't know you want you you don't want to generalize, but like you got coma. Who's like yeah. <laughs> the big, the big bulky dude? And he's go- and yeah. like name alone, that guy's gonna sleep. Wake up, coma. But then you have uh, Nesbit, who is one of the weirdest looking guys on the team. And then they call yeah. him weird throughout the movie, and like they continually make puns at him being like this weird
0: looking guy too. He's an odd looking dude. He's one of those guys who are like yeah like i buy that he's 22 but he also might be 40 yeah exactly yeah
1: which i think fits for a few of the cast members to be honest yeah
0: yeah also that.
1: the guy who plays finn though uh looks exactly like his character would be like a philosophical (laughs) yeah
0: scott powell yeah he uh i got that right yeah glenn powell glenn powell Ah. I, i always get i scott glenn the other actor, I think, like, I, their names are fused in my... And I, I consistently yeah. call this guy Scott Powell, but it's Glenn Powell. Scott Glenn, the actor? Yeah, Funny, yeah. yeah I, just, they look nothing alike, yeah. but I just see yeah, Well, I for
1: forever, know. you're just going to get the name
0: Scott and Glenn mixed up. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Glenn okay. Scott? <laughs> yeah. No, but you're right, yeah. They, they, have, they have a real distinction, but also, like, as the movie... Like, they become more distinct as the movie goes on. Because at the beginning, you're really, like like roper and coma you're you're kind of like wait, which white guy with like the black longer hair yeah. and a mustache is which right because like you you are you know who McReynolds reynolds is because like he has such a strong entrance where he basically finds out that um jake is a pitcher and he makes it clear that he's like i don't like pitchers they're weird i don't want i i can't touch you you're gonna i don't want you to rub off your your weird pitcher stuff on me um and and uh McReynolds played by tyler hecklin i think gives just such a strong like you you've met that guy before he's really good and he knows it but also he pretty consistently backs it up right Except yeah. with the exception of the scene that we're about to get into
1: yeah um, um that's actually probably a good lead into the scene if you want to go into it
0: i think just just one more little bit of business before we do tagline of course which, I mean, maybe we'll keep this episode short uh, and really, really live this tagline. But we're here for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> I, think it, uh, I think it really fits. I think it's an amazing tagline. Like,
1: we've already talked about some of the reasons why this does fit in. Uh, but I do think that there is, the the critical sensibility of the film, there is an underlying tone of, like, some of the players might not know that this will, won't last forever. And some of them mm-hmm. under- seem to already have a clear understanding that that's the way it is. Yeah, and I think that that tension is really the only tension at work. In the yeah, film. and
0: and the only maybe the only like true low point or point of of drama or even even just a hint of sadness is is the 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 conclusion of Willoughby's yeah. uh, storyline, where essentially he was. We're assuming you 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 watch this, everyone, um, but uh, where Wyatt Russell's character Willoughby was basically fudging his transcripts to be able to keep playing college ball long term and he's much older than than he told anyone he's thirty um yeah very very uh very much a, a hippie ball player who just wants to keep hanging out and smoking weed and and pitching and and shooting the shit so i I did have the question I wanted to ask you though
1: because like mm-hmm. is is willoughby's goal to continue playing the great game of baseball that he loves so much, or is it to mm-hmm just relive college
0: experiences over and over again. What do you think? I think it's definitely the latter. Like I think this this movie in general as we as we opened with this movie uses baseball and is set around baseball, but it's not really about baseball, right? There are, you know, like if you want to talk about people who just want to be able to play the game again, like you guys should have voted for Field of Dreams because we could talk about the, <laughs> the 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 Yankees who got put in baseball hell. And then come back in a cornfield, whatever that is. That that's not what this is. I think, you know, like all the other characters, Willoughby spends so much more, so much less time playing baseball than he is than he does anything else in this uh, in this movie. And he really feels alive when he's waxing philosophical about Pink Floyd or talking about pitchers and how pitchers are weird and that that's okay. Pitchers should be weird because they're they're singular and they're a necessary um, evil, which I think is a great yeah. way of
1: of summarizing the pitchers role in relation to other players.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But So no, I, I don't think he needed to keep playing baseball, but I think that's definitely probably the thing that he's best at and his most valuable skill to offer schools that he's trying to hoodwink.
1: Yeah. I mean like the guys on the team objectively say he was a good pitcher. Like after he leaves, they just kind of have that moment where they talk about him and mm-hmm. there's no reason to sugarcoat anything at that point. So I guess he was genuinely good at yeah. what he was doing, but
0: I like that they have that moment where they revel in the truth of Willoughby. Because it's not like, oh, we're all sad. We'll never see him again. Oh, no. It's like, exactly it's, how it plays in the real life. This is the low point. This is the end of second act of act two. Like, they show up and they're like, it's it's Plum and... Nesbitt. And Nesbit And they cannot wait to tell everyone yeah. that Willoughby is 30. <laughs> He's 30, dude. I don't envy you, Taylor, how many clips you'll be tempted to put in. Because there's just... There's about two dozen lines that we've already touched on that 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 would be uh that would be nice to hear, but uh, we'll leave that to you as always. I might just put every line of plums in the movie <laughs> maybe just the full audio if this <laughs> if this episode is uh is three hours long it's because it's just got the full audio if everybody wants yeah, I mean, on it means it. I just left it in the timeline when yeah. we were editing it
1: <laughs> all right how about we get to that scene Let's do it so for our scene today. It's all about competitiveness. Our scene takes place at 48.01 and goes to 58.05, so we got a nice succinct 3 minute scene today. So after a Friday night out, activities resume around the off-campus residence. Numerous competitions play out between the guys, featuring a competitive game of mini basketball, an intense ping pong showdown, and a major upset in a battle of Knuckles. The scene stars pretty much all of the characters. So I'm not going to go through the whole cast list, but we'll try and name them off as we talk about characters.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, we picked this... Honestly, like Linklater movies we were talking before we started recording are not the easiest ones to pick scenes out of. There are other movies of his that I love that are just hour and a half long walking conversations, right? It's hard to really pick one thing because it's not that he there's very rarely in this movie i think like oh this scene we're going to shoot it in this very specific way and i've got this motif or i've got this goal with this scene whereas again he's just trying to fill out this 3 day long weekend experience in this in this culture and in this setting but this 10 or so minutes of the movie covers a number of the things that we already touched upon like sort of the culture that they're that they're exploring in this and uh, has some great lines and some great interactions and uh, some quintessential college experiences. So one thing maybe just to to kick off with, I love that the scene starts with the idea that they're playing small games. There's a number of small games being played throughout the sequence. They, mini basketball, ping pong, darts, knuckles, uh, Dale's even playing a video game. And they're about as into those as they are any other form of competition. There is no idea at play here where like... When we're playing baseball, it's serious, and we're into it, and we're competing. But if we're playing ping pong, whatever, it's a tabletop game. Everything is a competition.
1: Yeah, but I, I like the rationale given for that, and we'll get to that too. But yeah, it's everything is a microcosm of the bigger game, which is why I don't think you can say that this movie isn't about baseball, because the rationale provided is that the competitiveness shown between these teammates is what makes them so good at baseball is because they are yeah. uber competitive, and they don't they don't take no for an answer, and they will always battle to the very end. That those are kind of the thing, the highlights of what they value as being competitive players. And it's uh, I believe it's Finnegan who's no is it Dale who says this is why they're the best team.
0: Yeah, yeah, Dale's sitting there, you know, beating a a baseball video game which is a generous term for whatever that console is that he's holding. Yeah. Um and yeah, sort of just makes the point that like if you put together these guys, if you make sure they're addicted to winning by fostering a culture in which they're going to bet on everything, they're going to play any game they can get their hands on against each other, um it'll make them better on the field because they they're they're addicted to winning, they need to win.
1: Yeah, a great little beat is prior to this scene, so like probably like 20 minutes in the movie before our scene even takes place, there's just like a casual montage of everybody kind of waking up and talking to uh, Buter as he leaves. But in that, in that montage, um, I believe it's Brumley who's like hanging up the basketball net. He's like hammering it up. So, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. just like, this is them getting the world of competition set up
0: right around their residence. Yeah. It's like Brumley brought that with him. He's like, oh yeah, this would be fun. And Uh, To his credit, it is. So it's Niles and Plum versus Dale and Brumley. And what I love about those pairings is that Niles is a weirdo, right? He's very hostile. Um, He boasts a lot about his 95-mile-per-hour fastball. He talks about being a pro prospect all the time. He's just spouting off stats. I'm sure this is a thing in athletic culture. I'm sure there are guys like that who are just insufferable. And they really make it clear. This guy's odd. He's got a weird haircut. Um, I don't... I don't have it right off the top of my head who plays who plays Niles. Oh, I got it. Justin Street. Yeah. Great performance. Yeah, it's he really, really good. He really nails that weird energy. Um, and he does have a great line where essentially the one night they they basically tell him, like, you can't come out with us anymore. You got to go home. And, and he, he flips out. And he, he says they're going to run home.
1: Oh, there's some push-ups. How's that sound? Oh, there's some push-ups. There's some abs. I'll come back looking awesome. Uh-huh. Read a book. Hey, check your pillows, man. It's so funny. It's like a, it's not a
0: throwaway line because it's, it stands out to me every time too. But it's like nothing comes of it. Concerning threat. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But anyway, so you got Niles is on the one team, and you have Bromley on the other. Bromley is this extremely young, like baby face, really embarrassing, wispy mustache freshman, who again, another great performance from this guy. Um, Yeah, Tanner Kalina. Really locked in on that kind of just verging on desperate to be liked energy. Instead of like keeping his mouth shut and being shy, his form of shyness is like spouting off really dumb phrases like cheers for the beers and stuff like that. What was the other one? What's the one I read after that? The other one's even worse because he doubles down, right? And like.
1: Full throttle to the bottom. Shut <laughs> up, <Rumbley. laughs>
0: <Shut> up <Rumbley. laughs> Nez- Nesbitt is like, you need to stop saying yeah. that, right? And he, does, he does really embarrassing things, but I think his enthusiasm and his lack of self-awareness really becomes kind of a... Uh, charming by the end of the movie once again because he sticks with it there isn't this arc of him having to learn to be cool he just is who he is once again i i know people like this
1: i i've seen people Mm -hmm. be exactly like this that's why when you see something like this on screen you're like wow like i can't believe how this character fits into this world of people and that's what makes this movie so interesting you recognize so many elements of all these characters and then seeing them all together in this competitive space i don't know that's what makes it so interesting to me is like the combination of these personalities
0: yeah well and i was just going to point out though that like i love that there isn't some suggestion that like those guys are put on a team together because no one wants to work with them both of them are paired up with other guys oh right they may be they may be weird or they may not necessarily fit the setting yet or they may be too too green or too odd but like that we're gonna play mini basketball like yeah just team up let's go so like niles is with plum and dale's with brumley and uh i i like that idea because i think he could very easily just have had that like the weird guys have to play together yeah and we're gonna we're gonna trash them for being weird while we also beat them at basketball and it's also like it's edited very much like both teams get great shots in right there is there is no landslide in it so I, i like that like I mean, we just spent what, like eight minutes talking about 10 seconds of mini basketball. That's how much is that play there. I think there's a lot of thoughtfulness into what would otherwise could just be like establish the scene. They're playing mini basketball, put them on whatever teams who cares.
1: Yeah. I think, I think the teammates is a really good point because like you said, it could be a landslide, like oh, the two weird guys versus the two cooler guys on the team. And they're going to, they're going to make fun of them and talk down to them. Uh, And I think that that's, I don't know, in a more immature, realistic setting, I think that's honestly how it could probably play out more times than not. But Mm -hmm. what this movie is trying to show you is that that kind of stuff is cast aside in these moments of competition. Like, who you're playing with shouldn't matter. You, like, as an individual are driven to win, and therefore whoever your teammate is, whoever you're handed as a teammate, you got to bring them up with you or work with them to win. And that's what yeah. seems evident in the scene because no matter how weird they think Jay Niles is, Plum is still getting getting passes to him. They're still working together as a team to win.
0: He's not a bad athlete, right? Like, that's the other thing is, like, they all right. have to exactly. be good at what they do to an extent to be there. And I love that 36 hours into this weekend, you can tell they're like, well, I mean, they put him on my team. Like, he's my teammate. That's right. Like, I'm going to play with him. I'm not going to let him get away with too much. Again, they, they hold Jay Niles in in check to an extent yeah. and anytime uh brumley says something really embarrassing or does something really embarrassing they let him know about it what but certain guys are you're definitely not cutting him out of the team right there's no there's never right. an arc where it's like oh that guy won't be good for our team and we have to do something about it we have to get him to drop out there's like again all these things where i feel like they'd be right at home in like animal house or even Days and confused right um just isn't there in this
1: yeah even when uh Sorry, even when Niles gets them all kicked out of the club, he they send him home, but it's, there's never any point where they're like, that guy needs to go, like, get that guy off the team. No. There's, there's never any they, talk about that. They have his that. back in the fight. Oh, that's right, they, they do.
0: They take, they take care of him, and, like, you know, um, Glenn Powell. Uh, I get that wrong again. Is it Scott Powell? No, it's Glenn. You got it this time. <laughs> it's, I got it, all right. Glenn Powell. Finnegan. Is, like, is being, yeah, Finnegan's being all philosophical, about the fact that it's very tribal, and it's like, we may not like like talking to Jay Niles, but he's one of us. We're going to take care of him. That's right. But also, when we're going to change clothes and go to the country bar, we're not going to let him ruin our chances again. So he's got to go home and do something to our pillows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the only guy on
1: the team who might really hate him is Koma. Yeah. <laughs> Koma, Koma looks conference. like he has a
0: little bit less patience, but maybe he's just tired. He's just a little sleepy. Wake up, Coma. And then, I mean, after that, we also then we switch into the, the ping pong sequence where you have McReynolds, the undeniably like sort of the the uh, the alpha male of this uh, of this group, uh, a clear pro, pro- prospect and uh, an upper upper year. I'm not sure what year. I would guess against, he's a senior. Uh, I think it's
1: yeah. him, Finn and uh, Roper are the seniors. Yeah. OK. Maybe. And, uh, yeah.
0: And it's yeah. It's him against Jake, and they're playing ping pong. And uh, I mean, Jake, Jake, Jake beats him, and uh, kind of embarrasses him because you see what happens to McReynolds when he's not winning. He gets, he does, he does that thing, and I think they really nailed the 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 vibe of it when you're watching someone get unreasonably upset with something. Yeah, and everyone else in the room is having a good time, and he starts. He basically, you know, he loses a rally, and he's like slapping himself in the face and telling himself to get it together. Um, and everyone, to and I mean, like the best part of that scene is Nesbitt who keeps correcting him on the scoring. 1917. Uh, actually, 1719. Thank you, Nesbitt. 1719. Is that better? Uh, no, I'm scared now, but yeah. <laughs> and, and just like just an extra little barb and really, really put like, you know, poking the bear. Yeah, it's, it's very good. I think the sequence great for two reasons. Number one, that uh, McReynolds is not some unrealistic god of sports like there are too many of these things for them all to be good at all of them he's he's a phenomenal baseball player clearly a very confident one and will probably get drafted but that doesn't mean he's going to be amazing at ping pong especially if someone else spent a lot of time with like there's the throwaway line at the end of this sequence where Uh, Jake says something about like my dad had like he's going to explain that like my dad on table or something. (laughs) He's like, shut up. and He just gets cussed out. Yeah. So I I, I love that they they show you that McReynolds isn't perfect. None of these guys are at all things. And number two, I love how it's almost like these groups have to set up a safe space for you to be a sore loser. Because like when he does lose, he walks directly towards Roper who already has the bottle of whiskey out for him. And then when he leaves the room, Roper's like, "Great, now I gotta go deal with with that." Which is a very, um, like, I've seen many girlfriends and boyfriends and significant others. Like when their their partner storms out of the room, they're like, "Thank you guys for that," or like, yep. "I'll be back. Let yep. me go take care of this." It's very, um, it's exactly like that. It's kind 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 of intimate. Um, and then the rest of them are all just kind of like, "That guy hates losing." And then they all do the little the little whisper chant. <laughs> Jake, 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 Jake. It's I, very I funny. I think it's, it's, it's so much fun for all those reasons. Uh, Nesbitt really, I think, that he's the star of the scene for me. He, he sells those little barbs. Thank you, Nesbitt. I, I want to talk about this really underappreciated
1: part of the scene too. Unappreciate, underappreciated from a viewer's perspective and from the character's perspective it's when finnegan Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the scene in the middle of the ping pong game is trying to explain (laughs) to roper how to make i believe it's a margarita
0: no he's he's putting whiskey in it okay so it's not he doesn't mention but like it's got a salt rim yes with cayenne and he's halfway through saying then i put in some whiskey and a a twist of lime and then he gets cut off yeah and he's like i just want to drink (laughs) yeah and and Roper just drinks from the bottle and yeah. he says something like, sorry, excuse me for trying to class up the joint. So, again, I don't know what he was making with whiskey and a salt rim. I, I'm sure there is a drink, but I'm not familiar with it. But, again, it's a, it's another little sort of data point on Finnegan's character map where it's like, of course, this is the guy who would be like, no, 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 no. You shouldn't just drink straight whiskey. Let me Let me take 30 minutes yeah. and hold your attention and give you a little performance where I explain to you why this drink is better and then in the next scene he's reading jack kerouac <laughs> and he's and he's got his pipe out which i don't think he's actually
1: smoking i think no, he's just like chewing it i think on he's it. chewing on the pipe too yeah yeah he's he is a true character that guy is but he's a character you could see in real life too like he that guy exists out
0: there <laughs> oh yeah i know i know like you're you're 100% right we'll keep returning to this but every one of these guys for all just being like college athletes at the at the very high level each of them represent a subtly different type of guy that you've hung out with in university or college or at that age in bars or when you were working a a summer job things like that very all extremely well realized and represented
1: well and yeah so speaking of which jumping from the ping pong game we do have a couple shots that cross-cut back to the... Like, it's actually just one time where it cross-cuts back to the mini-basketball game. So we do understand mm-hmm. multiple competitions happening at the same time. But then we jump to a much different kind of scene in Willoughby's room, where he is... Where they're passing around a bong, and he's distributing his wisdom of Pink Floyd to uh, mm-hmm. a group of the freshmen. Well, actually, Dale's not a freshman, but the younger guys on the team. getting...
0: Play an E pentatonic scale at 100 miles an hour till somebody's ears burn off. You can learn that, right? But finding the tangents within the framework—therein lies the artistry, man. Yeah, and I I just to give like 10 seconds of like music theory background. Everything he's talking about is uh is total like it's it it doesn't mean anything, which is perfect. Like it shouldn't. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah, yeah.
1: The way he takes this role and kind of is able to pump up the mm-hmm. stoner aspects of the character was really impressive mm-hmm. to me. I mean, he kind of seems a bit like a hips hippie kind of drifter guy in real life, but I think channeling that energy into this character and realizing what it needed to be in this space, like in relation to other freshman guys who aren't all potheads around him, I think that the relationship yeah. is really well drawn out.
0: He's very likable without being too spacey. Like actually one of my He's favorite not spacey, moments. Yeah. No, yeah, one of my favorite moments in this with his character is where he's he's sitting, he's rolling a joint outside in an earlier scene, he's sitting with Jake, and Jake's telling him, like, where he came from, like, somewhere in California, something like that, and you can tell he's not paying attention at all, he just goes, okay, so I'm gonna go smoke this with some guys, do you wanna come? Like, he just completely, the conversation falls flat, and he's just like, this is what this is about now, and I think it it's sold very well. Yeah, he doesn't care but where no, Jake's I, from. Yeah, he he doesn't. That's that's not what this is about. We're here right now, and let's go upstairs and and you can check out my X file or not X Files uh, Twilight, Twilight Zone, Zone. VHS uh, collection. And then yeah, I'll tell you about Pink Floyd. He'll argue that um, like there's a very I think a very familiar scene for a lot of us where he starts packing up this bong, and everyone's like, "You can't smoke that much." Yeah, everyone's like, "I don't think he can do it." and He's like, "I think it might be a record," and then he does, and it's something that is so unimpressive in any way but like all the guys in the scene are like whoa and they're like i gotta try right i gotta try beat that record and (laughs) in mahogany rush man (laughs) he sells he's he's got such a good vibe in this movie he's really locked in on that and we've talked about why russell
1: before but he is he's got some genuine charisma and charm that this guy should be starring in a lot of movies
0: movies. yeah and then yeah it talks a bit about carl sagan Uh, tries to read each other's minds. Uh, I don't don't think there's any point in really getting into detail about like the really meandering stuff they get into. I just do think it's very fun that the scenes feel so intentionally long, like you were sitting there on the floor with them. And if you weren't in the same state of mind as them, at a certain point you'd be like, okay, when are we getting back to mini basketball or or something else? That's right. And so, yeah, we are going to kind of just breeze through
1: this part of the scene because there isn't, a whole lot of talking points that relate to our bigger subject matter um we bounce back out of the stoner scene onto the main floor of the house uh where competition resumes there's a game of knuckles
0: yeah. taking place um do we need to explain what knuckles is you just it's just two guys flicking each other's knuckles uh, as hard as they can until one of them submits um no, no more complicated than that. And I like that there is some voiceover over this game, where it really it makes it clear that this is a different type of game. It's a different type of competition. Arguably, very little skill involved. Like there is, you know, I am sure you skill, can optimize sure. the way that you that you flick a knuckle, but the game is a lot more about just holding out and ignoring the pain. Pain tolerance. Trying, try yeah, yeah. Um, it's and, a it's a that's crazy that's, game. Yeah, Finnegan is like. Um, He's talking about how these different games are what What type of competitor are you, right? Are you an athlete? Are you a gamer? He says something to the effect of, like, can you just shut everything out and, and survive and try to hold on? And which is lined up when one of the guys loses the game of Knuckles, he submits.
1: The line is actually, or are you a quitter? And then Nesbitt's
0: like, tomorrow, same time, all right? <laughs> Stop laughing, Dale. <laughs> yeah so yeah it's nesbitt is you know he's he's one of the older guys in the group and he's the reigning knuckles champion two years running brumley who we talked about a very embarrassing freshman has off off camera has said no i can beat you at knuckles and nesbitt really talks it up says like
1: hey man child here thinks he can take me even though he knows i'm the reigning knuckles champ two years in a row undefeated Okay, so I did want to the reason I wrote that line in the notes is because it really relates to kind of how McReynolds tried to belittle Jake in the ping pong match. It's almost the dialogue is almost verbatim coming up with a chirp about how young and inexperienced you are and you think you can take me. Yeah. And it's like back to back scenes, right? So I I thought it was really important to note those two lines.
0: No, yeah, that's great. Because, again, Nesbitt just saw you know, Mick Reynolds get trounced by this new guy and then he comes out and he's like, There's no way this new guy can be me. Exactly. And honestly, like Brumley's got some real mitts on him. He's got he's got some big hands. Like Um, Brumley
1: is the kind of guy who would be really, really good at knuckles. You could just tell. See, you can tell a lot about somebody from these stupid little competitions. Really? Yeah, something's always revealed. Like, are you a competitor? Are you a gamer? You know, can you find a way to overcome all obstacles and practically will yourself to victory
0: again like this is there's some sound design at play there's some editing there's some camera angles at play they really sell this stuff it's it's uh, you you flinch a little bit as brumley just lands one like the a louder mm-hmm. like knuckle hit on everyone right then like yeah. when nesbit's hitting brumley it's it's very well produced and there's only one shot of the
1: actual knuckle being like a little cut up and bruised and it, yeah. it it's gnarly like you've seen people play knuckles you know how gross this game ends up looking on mm-hmm. people's hands so the fact that nesbit's a pitcher too
0: <laughs> yeah we used to play with toonies yeah we, we used... played that one on the tabletop yeah. one toonies for our american viewers big two dollar two, two <sighs> canadian dollar coin uh, a nice hunk of metal to uh, to flick across the table at another guy's knuckles. Yeah, the other guy puts um, his knuckles think, down I've on I've the got table. Scar or two, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was a yeah.
1: gnarly, it was a pretty gnarly game that young young guys <laughs> played against each other just for literally the the clout. And you have higher mm. a higher
0: pain threshold than I do. Wow, good for you. Yeah. Uh, it, I think <laughs> I think distinctly masculine because that's the other thing. We I, I in some of the notes I had mentioned that like. I think this movie doesn't bother to talk about the fact that there are a hundred percent without a doubt women competitors. There are female sports teams. There are people who take this just as seriously as the guys do who are not guys. This is one of the things where it's like, I don't actually know who who does this other than other than uh, uh, like, you know, elementary school boys and, and, and college ball players. Right. It's such a stupid, stupid game. Yeah. And, and Nesbitt takes it real hard when he has to give up. Well that's Because that's the thing You don't even You don't lose Yeah you have to quit Right you have to say That you're done
1: You submit And it's a point of pride To like Overcome that As the When you're the winner But being and the it's loser
0: close Like Oh yeah like Brumley Brumley's like smiling Like I love The the guy Tanner's performance He's just kind of like I can't believe I pulled this off He's like You'll always be the champ Has he? Yeah you're still the champ And then as soon as Like Nesbitt storms out He's like Guys you, you guys You guys see me beat Nez Right, where And then and then Coma steps in to, uh, to take him on. Yeah, so you uh, know that you away. know that
1: Bromley is still in okay shape to keep playing because Coma's jumps right yeah. and then starts flicking. Them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if we didn't ever lay it out direct, Dale and Jake and Finnegan are sort of talking over the Knuckles thing. Right. Uh, and this is after the weed scene, so it's after they kind of competed about who could take the biggest hit, all that stuff. And Jake is just sort of asking, like, Until we
1: get out on the field, Jakey, this... This, all of this, This is why we're one of the best teams in the nation, man. You get a bunch of competitors together, and you're addicted to winning. That's the championship team right there.
0: Just look at each other's knuckles. And uh, I think that's why, you know, it's a good sequence to look at, even though there's not not really a clear scene.
1: Yeah, Dale kind of provided the summary for our analysis of this scene right there. Mm -hmm. Just, this is why we wanted to discuss this part of the movie, a movie that is so much about male culture and competitiveness and this kind of is a microcosm of it by like literally showing these mini Mm -hmm. challenges mini sports games where these guys have to demonstrate who's the best all to illustrate this bigger picture of spirited competition that the team channels to win baseball games supposedly
0: yeah and i think it's depicting all this you know, warts and all for better or for worse. If this, again, we really lo- like, we love this movie. Obviously Taylor said he's watched it a ton and we'll keep watching it a ton. And it's the same for me. If you watch this and like the, the kind of the competition and things like that and the yelling and the toxicity puts you off. I don't think that's an invalid response at all. Yeah. I think Linklater was like, you you, you're you're into it or you're not you find this charming and fun or you don't but it is what it is we're not going to try to make it seem better or even make too much of an argument for it beyond this kind of stuff can can help make a championship team on the field
1: yeah i don't think the movie needs to apologize for anything uh and it's really nice to see and we've said this a couple times on the podcast really nice to see when a director gets to make something so personal to themselves Mm -hmm. i don't know there's just something about that kind of magic that can only be captured when a filmmaker has truly experienced and lived their story that they're telling. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, very it's present. Just,
0: it's a, it's, it's a rare size and type of movie. And I, I'm, I'm so happy it exists. I think it's so much fun, but yeah, we can uh, move over into our shout outs this time. Um, Tay and I decided we were just going to shout out specific characters, talk a little bit more in uh give a little bit more detail to why we liked uh specific guys on this cast. Yeah. So I picked Plum. Uh, whose full name is Tyrone Plummer.
1: Guys, is it true that our house is about to fall down? Uh, <laughs> right now, I got, I got... Great voice. Yeah, it's... Just an unbeatable it's a, voice on this guy. You can't think that I'm not going to put a ton of Plummer quotes in this episode, yeah. but right now, I got the image pulled up, and it's just him with Finn, Jake, and Coma walking down the street, and he's got... The, the hat with the P on it, for <laughs> which I, it yeah. looks like it's like a Pittsburgh hat, but obviously his name's Plum, so it's yeah. it's very funny.
0: That's that's from right after this scene where they're walking and he's like, Who are these people? Like, this guy with the backpack? and this dude on the porch? Like, I know what we're doing here. No, we're playing baseball. What are all these other guys doing here?
1: <laughs> I, like he he speaks metaphysically sometimes, but he's so he, his voice sounds like he's so thick headed and dumb. Yeah, but he really does make some decent observations in addition to a lot of stupid ones. And I think mm-hmm. once again, I know guys similar to this. I know people, no one with a voice like this, but people who acted similar to this, and they they can exist in this world as both someone who people think is maybe less intelligent, but also, like, respectful in other ways. And I like that he doesn't really ever feel the need to blend into any group in this movie. He's just always there, and no one ever has anything bad to say about him because I just think he doesn't really leave any room for, like, nothing, yeah. nothing's going to get through this guy.
0: First time wearing cologne? No. Get it on there, man. Get it under your arms and on your chest. Just put it on your neck. Come
1: on. I don't know, man.
0: Too much of this smells like cat piss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah no I, I think he's tons of fun like again yeah played by temple baker the guy's just got a killer voice and the voice really sells that whole kind of like his eyes are half open vibe and he's always like wondering about stuff yeah. he's just asking a lot of questions yeah and he's not a stoner um, either no it doesn't doesn't really see like he's in the stoner scene but he's not like they're not he's not like willoughby he's not like always got a joint behind his ear or like yeah. in the process of rolling one or burning one yeah
1: so I I that's uh, my shout out because I don't think uh, I think out of all the cast he's one of the least talked about and uh, Temple Bay mm-hmm. who does such a good job in this role would love to see him in more things. If I ever make a movie
0: and can afford him, I'll put him in it. Definitely. I um yeah I'm gonna talk about Finnegan uh, and I mean we've mentioned him a bunch already. It was between him and Willoughby for for me, but I figure we would talk about Willoughby more anyway. Um, Glenn Powell I just think he has he's an inherently charming and charismatic guy and uh i wish he i wish he was in more stuff um he's in a pretty fun uh netflix rom-com called set it up uh with zoe deutsch uh oh, as, nice. as the leads uh, it's fine it's nothing you know nothing subversive or like prestigious but like it's a fun little movie about assistants setting up their bosses played by lucy Liu and tay diggs um but, uh, no, I just think like he's he's a very specific type of thing to be able to sell this guy who very confidently has an opinion on everything and has a ton of takes. and uh, and he he ends up getting a lot of screen time for that because I think it was just probably so much fun to write kind of stuff it's a
1: shame you know some guys are just so aggressive you know myself i'm a firm supporter of the era although i doubt it's going to have an immediate impact on the societal norm of the male gender initiating virtually all contacts with prospective females you know which might seem predatory on the surface but i assure you trust that... me you should be investing this energy elsewhere
0: well now you just plain hurt our feelings whether or not it's like the sort of stories that he has for picking up women or how he's always kind of got like any of the freshmen sort of set something up he's like oh here's the definitive take here's the here's the truth on that matter whether it's like tribalism between uh sports teams or the fact that like switching your clothes to go from a disco spot to a to a country bar is totally okay and a, and a, and a normal tactic and and things like that i think just anytime he's talking which is what he's good at um you, you buy that he's good at it he he, he clearly is his rationalizations for most things in this
1: movie were very reassuring because I was like, but this is fun. Oh, thank, yeah, yeah. thank you for telling me why it's fun, Finnegan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you for yeah, big, making I'm... me not feel bad about watching and enjoying this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his, and I know he's got at least a small part in uh, the next Top Gun, so I'm hoping, hoping we get some more, some more fun with him on screen.
1: Yeah, just looking at what he's got coming up, he's going to be, like, it's only in pre-production right now, but Most Dangerous Game is getting remade for oh, okay. Unknown unknown date. He's also in Richard Linklater's upcoming 2022 film Apollo 10 and a Half, a space-age childhood, which is an animated cool. movie animated in a similar style to my recommendation this week. But uh Get to it then. That's a that's a good segue. Okay. So my recommendation is another Richard Linklater film called A Scanner Darkly. Uh, it's from 2006. It's a loaded cast. Mm-hmm. Of Keanu Reeves Woody Harrelson, Robert Downey Jr., and Winona Ryder. Absolutely A-list foursome. And this movie... Oh, and Rory Cochran, I always like to include in the cast list for this movie. He's less than those four, but I think he's a tremendous actor. who's really underappreciated. This is one of my... This is one of my favorite Linklater films, if not my favorite. Uh, because it is oddball humor mixed with big scope macro view tragedy of like world kind of falling to a drug pandemic there's so many personalized elements of the characters in this story but yet it's talking about such a massive issue uh i find that contrast really captivating like i i think it's a good way to handle such a dense subject matter by making the story follow a bunch of quirky oddball characters kind of living in this world haphazardly highly highly recommend a scanner darkly especially if you're in any of these actors, cause this is some of their finest work as comic actors. I'd say.
0: Yeah, no, this is a great movie. I haven't seen it in a while. I think it's due for a rewatch, but yeah, I love the, the rotoscoped animation style. It's, I feel like we've talked about a scanner darkly before, because I know I have recommended other rotoscoped stuff. If I haven't, if I have, if yeah, I have my, recommended it before,
1: this is a double recommendation. There
0: you go. You better, if you didn't get on it the first time, now you really have to. Um, so my recommendation, uh, I was going more along the line of the vibe of this movie in that, again, there isn't really an arc. There isn't really anyone that has to change, um, or any development. It's just a hangout, um, different sort of energy level of hangout. But, uh, the movie is, uh, Patterson by Jim Jarmusch from 2016. Uh, it stars Adam Driver and it's just sort of like a couple days in the life of a bus driver who has a very set routine. It's got a very ambitious wife. Uh, he writes poetry. He lives in a town that has the same name he does. And it's a quiet, calm, simple movie where almost nothing happens. Yep. Um, it's a, it's a really great vibe. It's very cool. Um, there's not, there's really not much like it that I've seen. Um, so that if you're looking for, for something a little bit different, maybe not particularly trying or dramatic. Uh, this is a good one and, and a very different, I think a very different Adam driver. Cause I think he's, Obviously he's got some inherent charisma, but I think you often would cast him because he can go big, right? He's got he's got this kind of manic energy that he can unleash, whether or not he's Kylo Ren or in the last duel or any of this stuff. And this one it's very measured. He's a very calm, capable guy. He just likes to do his job and and work on on poems over the course of days.
1: Yeah, that's the movie that solidified for me that he was a true actor that guy is at, he's one of the, the best actors working i'd say right now mm-hmm. and uh patterson is a really nice compliment if you've seen some a lot of his other work and you haven't seen patterson i think it's worth watching just to compare like what this or see what this guy can do as far as his versatility you see, and acting yeah, you can do something else yeah, yeah. it's it's very impressive
0: I, yeah i think a lot of his career was just like oh i saw what he did on girls so i'm gonna cast him as like a toxic kind of wild card yeah right and uh he's got a lot more depth he he can do other things um so that's my recommendation uh with that we're wrapping up baseball month uh but you know we sincerely hope the jays do well this season um next episode is actually going to be our season finale we're coming up uh in june it'll be one year on the on the podcast which is really exciting um we we're working on a couple different ideas for the season finale but what we do know right now is there will be one episode in in early May, and then we'll take a break till June, where we'll kick off the, uh, the next season and, and get back to our regular every two-week schedule. Um, so keep an eye out on Instagram. You'll find out what we're planning to do for the finale once we figure it out. Um, but we're looking forward to sharing it with you and then uh taking a couple of weeks off
1: yeah we got a couple of good ideas uh some stuff we really do want to talk about but we want to make sure it's the perfect choice so we'll have that narrowed down for you guys real soon and uh we can't wait to get working on that next episode and uh wrapping up Absolutely. our first season which is pretty mm-hmm. surreal eh, Tim.
0: yeah it kind of i don't know if i would say it's gone fast but like it's it's been super enriching like i think learned a lot like i think i've i've honestly can say i can kind of kind of change the way that i look at movies a lot and not for the worst like i think a lot of people worry about becoming more analytical and and ruining the experience i just think it's become a lot more enriching yeah and we've we've heard from a couple viewers that people are keeping their eyes out for different camera angles and and tricks and methods and techniques and that's that's really rewarding to hear too so uh uh, if there's anything like that, be, by all means, get in touch with us on Instagram at Pod, Email us at cinema at gmail.com. And uh, wherever you can, uh, if they give you the option to review or rate the podcast, we'd love a review and a rating. Uh, and, uh, you know, just uh, spread the word. Let people know the season finale is coming up. Uh, and, and subscribe. Talk, share the episodes. I don't know what to say anymore. Shake something. <laughs> don't break something. That's it. <laughs> Bye, everyone.